scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. Matthew 20, 25 to 28. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It was just after sundown on that Thursday of that Passion Week, Jesus knew that his hour had come. In just 24 hours, the Passover lamb would be slain, and preparations for eating the Passover meal would begin. He wanted time to be alone with his disciples at this time. You could turn to John chapter 13, and you can follow along with some of the things that we're going to be talking about in preparation for our actual service today. John chapter 13. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that Jesus, in verse 3 there, that he knew who he was. And in verse 2, it tells us that he knew who they were. He understood the situation perfectly. His whole life <clears throat> had been one of unselfish service. And yet his disciples had not yet learned that. This defined what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. Unselfish service. Uh, he was troubled over how to turn their obsession with themselves and about themselves into this passion for others that marked his life. And there was sadness in his voice. In Luke chapter 22, you don't have to look at this, but he said, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. It was these times that Jesus had celebrated with his disciples were very special times generally. They were filled with calm, joy. The disciples prized them all. But at this particular Passover meal that he had planned for them, just them and him, his heart was burdened. There seemed to be a shadow resting upon his countenance, and they perceived that something was weighing very heavily upon his mind. They didn't know what it was. He might naturally be overwhelmed, you we would think, looking back. After all, in just a couple of days, he would be dead after hanging on the cross. He knew that was waiting him. Maybe that's what was troubling him as he was having this last meal with his disciples. But he was not thinking about himself. That's not what was troubling him. His concern was for them. My favorite author, Ellen White, picks up the story, and this is what she says about that. She says, On this last evening with his disciples, Jesus had much to tell them. If they had been prepared to receive what he had longed to impart, they would have been saved from many heartbreaking anguish, from disappointment, and from unbelief. But Jesus saw that they could not bear what he had to say to them. This was supposed to be a very intimate, one-on-one -on -one 
special time. He was about to leave. Not long after that, he would go to heaven. This was a very special time with him and the disciples. But they were not able to hear what he had to say. And as he looked into their faces, the words of warning and the words of comfort just kind of never escaped his lips. Moments would pass, disciples wondering what's on his mind, and none able to be able to speak. The disciples were also ill at ease. His sorrowful words that I have just read out of Luke 22, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you, was said in, in sorrow. It made little impression upon them. They began to glance at each other, and you know what began to occupy their minds? Who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? They expected that in a few days there would be a revolution take place and Jesus would come out of that revolution as being the promised Messiah. And that he would set up an earthly kingdom and they would have priority positions of authority and power. This was occupying their minds. Something very different was occupying Jesus' mind. Luke tells us that during this last meal, a dispute arose among them. Uh, Which of them was to be regarded the greatest? Even within sight of the cross, the disciples were still arguing over issues of precedence and prestige. Instead of regarding their brethren as more worthy, each placed themselves above the others. Can you get the picture in your head? Jesus was giving up all for the entire world, placing himself in such a position of service. And all of those that were closest to him, his followers, were thinking nothing like at all what Jesus was thinking. They were thinking only of their grandeur they expected to receive. James and John wanted to sit at the right and left of Christ's throne. That stirred the indignation and alienation among the others, and they felt that they were misjudged and not appreciated. Judas was the most severe in his accusations against James and John. So when the disciples entered the room, who do you suppose found his way to the place of honor next to Jesus? Judas. He would find that place and he would hold it, even if it probably came to fists. It's so profound, this encounter in that upper room, Jesus and his disciples, the dynamics of what was going on. Judas was on his left, John on his right. Suddenly, all became aware that something had been overlooked. Someone had failed to provide for the common courtesies of life, the washing of feet. This was the duty of a slave. Now all the rabbis of that day, all of their followers, were supposed to render service, personal service for their master, but none were required to wash feet. That was from just a plain outright slave. How could anybody of any kind of stature wash feet? The roads of Palestine in those days were very dusty. If it was really dry, as a lot of dust. And you would sweat and the dust would stick to your feet. Or if it was a wet time of year, that dust would turn to, to mud, wet, sticky mud. And it, in either way, your feet are just covered with either dust or covered with mud. 
And so at homes, they would have these large water pots at the door, and there would be a servant there. And he would, on his knees, he would take care of your feet and clean your feet because you had already bathed if you were going to go to a feast. It was just your feet. And he would take the feet and take care of them. And there was a pitcher, and there was a basin, and there was a towel, but there was no one to wash feet. They had forgotten that. How interesting that when we get so absorbed with ourselves that we forget to do the common courtesies that are necessary. Each of the disciples, yielding to wounded pride, determined that it would not be them that would take the role of a servant. This was the time to edge into prominence, not to go the other way. All manifested uh, as if a stoical unconcern, seemingly unconscious that there was this need to wash feet. Few incidents in the gospel story so reveal the contrast between the character of Jesus and the character of his followers as what happened in John chapter 13. On one side, the followers standing back, protecting their own rights. On the other side, the one with unlimited power, without hesitation, becoming a servant. How heaven must have been fascinated by this drama taking place. Ah, they didn't even know that the most fundable thing about discipleship is service. They didn't comprehend that. And filled with sorrow over their self-absorption, Jesus entered into no controversy with them. Instead, he gave them an example that they and we would never forget. One writer put it this way, the disciples made no move towards serving one another. Jesus waited for a time to see what they would do. Then he, the divine teacher, rose from the table, laying aside his outer garments, as you could read there, uh, laying aside his outer, other garments that would impede his movements. He took a towel and girded himself. With surprised interest, the disciples look on. And in silence, they waited to see what was to follow. In John chapter 13, verse 5, you could read, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and then wiped them with a towel whereof he was girded. Jesus started by washing the one in the point of prominence. He started with Judas. The one above all the others that wanted to have this position closest to Jesus, this position of honor, sitting right beside Jesus, whose whole life had been a life of service, of giving until there would be nothing left. He wanted to be right next to him, but in his mind, he wanted rank and prestige. Had nothing at all in common with Jesus. Nothing at all. And Jesus starts with him. Now, Judas had placed himself foremost. Before the Passover, he had met a second time already with the priests and the scribes and had chose, chosen to go into a contract with them to deliver Jesus into their hands. Yet he afterward mingled with the disciples as though innocent of doing this and interested in the work of preparing for the feast. The disciples 
knew nothing of what was going on in Judas's mind. Jesus alone read the secret. Yet he did not expose him. I want you to think carefully about the dynamics of what's going on. He knew what he was doing, but did not expose him. He hungered for the soul of Judas. He felt for him such a burden as for Jerusalem when he wept over that doomed city. His heart was crying, how could I give you up? This man, so different, contrary course, so much like the course that had started the great rebellion in heaven, that course that Satan had started on, was his disciple that chose to sit right next to him. How could I give you up? The constraining power of that love was felt by Judas. And when the Savior's hands were bathing those soiled feet and wiping them with the towel, in the heart of Judas a, th- Judas, a thrill went through him. There was an impulse born of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reached into his heart and he had a desire to repent of what he was about to do. But he would not humble himself. Jesus was kneeling before him, taking the role of a servant, washing his feet, and Judas would not humble himself. Receiving the ministrations of Jesus, but refusing to humble himself. He hardened his heart. The old impulses came back, controlling him. Judas was now saw Jesus in entirely different light. For a moment his heart was soft, and in the next moment it was hard. And instead of being attracted to Jesus washing his feet, he saw that as an offensive thing to do. How quickly people can change. He was offended at what Jesus was doing, and he thought to himself, this could certainly not be the king of Israel that he had hoped. All hope of worldly honor, temporal gain, he saw as he looked down with Jesus, it was gone. Jesus would not take him where he wanted to be. Oh, he came close, but he turned away. After seeing Jesus degrade himself, He was confirmed in his purpose to disown him. He became possessed by a demon. And you know what happened to Judas? You want to tell me? He brought his own life to an end. Such grandeur. Such elevated ideas of himself. Focusing towards him rather than absorbing what Jesus was doing to him. Oh, if he could have only changed, he would have had a bright future. And it happened so quickly. Going from disciple to disciple, Jesus came finally to Peter. And when Jesus knelt in front of Peter, (laughs) the response of Peter was amazing. In John 13, verse 6, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? He was astonished. The fact that Christ would kneel down before him, he knew full well that Jesus knew all that was in his heart. 
You know, I'm afraid if I was Jesus, I would have scolded each one of those disciples. I would have just opened the pages. You remember how he wrote in the sand about when Mary Magdalene was condemned? I would have been tempted to expose people. But that's not what a servant does. It just isn't that way. Wow. Christ's condensation, condensation broke Peter's heart. He was filled with shame to think that one of the disciples was not performing this service. Why not him? <laughs> what I do, Christ said to Peter, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And I just want to stop in the narrative now and take you to the end of time, in the great judgment in the future. When Jesus shall come in his glory with all the angels before him and gather all the nations and the judgment begins, the turning point upon which everything hangs is what? What we have done or neglected to do for these people, Christ's sons and daughters, in his name. Putting it another way, being a servant or not. All of the judgment hangs on that. In that day, Christ does not present before men the great work that he has done in the judgment. Rather, he presents the stories of servants who have served other people. And that's the judgment scene. Wow. To those who have served him well, he will say, come and sit at my right side. <laughs> Position of honor. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. But to those whom Christ commends, know not that they have been ministering to Jesus, and to their perplexed inquiries, he answers, inasmuch, Matthew 25, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. In all who suffer for my name, Jesus said, you are you are to recognize me. As you would minister to me, so you are to minister to them. This is the evidence that you are my disciples. In the great judgment scene, how we care for one another is the evidence that we're disciples. Jesus was trying to teach this that day in the upper room to the disciples before he went to the cross. And in a few moments, we're going to go to wash each other's feet. Those whom Christ commends in the judgment, they may know little theology, but they have mastered the art of being servants and of expressing unconditional love. Not to any class is Christ's love restricted. He identifies himself with every child of humanity because Jesus was so thoroughly identified with all of humanity, when loving others, no matter who they are, we are 
because he has identified himself so thoroughly with us, we are loving him. He actually regards that as love given to him. It was to implant this love, to make us his children, that the King of glory became one with us. And when his parting words are fulfilled, love one another as I have loved you, when we love the world as he has loved it, then for us his mission is accomplished. We are fitted for heaven. Now Peter was not quite there yet. At least he wasn't as hard as Judas, but he wasn't quite there. He could not bear to see his Lord acting the part of a servant. I have often thought what it would be like if just one of those disciples could have caught on and would have gotten down and washed feet. And what if they would have washed Jesus' feet? What would that have meant throughout all of eternity? But you know what? In washing each other's feet, it is as if you're washing Jesus' feet. It's a perfect act of hospitality. Peter said, Thou shalt never wash my feet. So often in following our impulses, we find ourselves at odds with God. I'm that way. I have a big problem when it comes to behaving like Jesus. And I'll tell you, my ideas and values are still far from his. This service, handed down through the ages, is designed to take us back to that upper room and to experience what was going on there and to find ourselves among those disciples and experience what Jesus was doing so that we can be broken by his gracious love towards us and become transformed in the way that we treat one another and thus encourage his return. Like the disciples, I have a big problem. When I see those professing Christianity clamoring for position, clamoring for position, I tended to reject those people. What did Jesus do? He served them. That night, every one of the disciples pledged themselves to him, but within a few days, they forsook him. When I am betrayed, I simply, mentally, and emotionally... Take a little eraser and erase people who have betrayed me from existence. Ever do that? They just erased. When I'm betrayed, they just get erased. Is that what Jesus did? He knelt before them and served them. Wow. The more that they hurt him, the more he loved them. Astonishingly, Jesus was unwilling to cast this sad group aside. He didn't use their faults as an opportunity to lecture or even condemn them. Wow. I would go home at the end of the day and think, well, maybe I should have said more. Maybe I didn't say enough. Maybe they didn't get it clearly. But Jesus didn't even talk to them. He didn't even point out their sickening failure after all those years being with him, not getting it. And what did he do? He got down on his knees and he simply showed them what he wanted by the way he lived his life. If you're having difficulty and you're worried about other people and worried about the maybe the direction they're going as 
much as Jesus could have been that evening with the disciples. Sometimes, I'm even willing to say most often, the best thing to do is not lecture and not condemn, but get on the knees and serve. And the fact of Jesus holding those feet and loving those individuals who were not very reflective of him got through to them except for one. And it changed their hearts. What a lesson for parents. What a lesson for church leaders. What a lesson for me. What he did was simply serve. Sad as he was, he would leave the work of transformation to the work of the Holy Spirit. Did it work that well? He left it to the Holy Spirit. And in a few weeks later, when the Holy Spirit fell, they were different. Lousy candidates going into that service, the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit did what it needed to do. Jesus needed to touch their hearts and make them soft so that the Holy Spirit could get into their heart. That's what needed to happen. Always the best solution is not reprove or worry, but simply showing unconditional love. One thing that I find even more startling is to think about this. Jesus, in the book of John, tells us repeatedly, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And to picture not just Jesus in front of us kneeling and washing our feet, but according to Jesus, he is saying that the Father would leave his throne and come down and wash our feet and think nothing of it except it would be an opportunity to show us how much he cares for us. Really important. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me, Jesus said to Peter. Peter surrendered his pride and self-will in the moment that Jesus was washing his feet. He was still confused. He still betrayed a few days later. He could not endure the thought of separation from Christ. And so he blurted out like Peter, not my feet only, but what? <laughs> Everything you can find, wash it. Everything you can find. And Jesus assured him that was not necessary. It is all clean. Because he had submitted. Jesus, kneeling before them to wash their feet, opened the eyes of the disciples. Bitter shame and humiliation filled their hearts. They understood the unspoken rebuke, and they saw themselves in anger, in altogether, excuse me, in altogether a new light. In that act, all their alienation, jealousy, and pride was swept away. Until brought into a state of humility and love, they were not prepared to partake of the Paschal Supper or to share in the memorial service which Jesus was about to institute. And that's what he did. And you, if you've got John 13 open, Let's read together. You can read silently. I'll read from the desk here. Verse 12 and onward. <clears throat> and then we will go partake in the service. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. 
If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I did for you. Truly, truly, verse 16, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I share these words with you today as an invitation to be a servant in every sense of the word like Jesus.